we doing this? Really? Wait for it. Are we doing this? Wait for it. Ow! What the fuck? WTF. And it's also, eh, what the fuck? What's wrong with me? It's time for WTF. What the fuck? With Mark Marin. Okay, let's do this, what the fuckers, what the fuck buddies, what the fucking ears, what the fuck nicks, what the fuckstables, what the fuckaricans, what the fucking navians. That's it. That's enough. I need to check the list. I am Mark Marin. This is WTF. Today on the show, Ralphie May, the long-awaited uh, interview with Ralphie May. Not yet. Let me do some business first. I will be this weekend on Friday at the Mangers Comedy Festival in Boston, Massachusetts at the Wilbur Theater for live WTF and a uh, live stand-up show. Stand-up show, I believe, is at 7. The WTF is at 10. It's going to be great. Got a lot of great Boston comics on that show. And then I will be at Sketchfest in San Francisco, February 3rd and 4th, doing a live uh, WTF up there and some other shows. Going to be in Oklahoma City, February 18th at the uh, City Center for the Fowler VW Presents Me, Mark Marin. Then I will be in Vancouver, February 24th, for a WTF uh, with Bob and David. Bob Odenkirk, David Cross. at sold out. March 8th through 10th. Acme, Minneapolis, excited, March 15th, Grand Rapids, Michigan, at the Gilda's Laugh Fest. Going to do a live WTF there. I believe Alan Zweibel is going to be on that show. Pow, I just shit my pants. Just coffee.coop, but it's not. I got to be honest with you. I got to be honest with you. I got a gift. I got a gift from my friend Tom Rhodes. We were going to drink this together, but we never pulled it together. It's in a small glass jar, a fancy little glass jar. And on the front, it says Mira Agrowasada Kopi Luwak Peaberry Coffee. Now, look, I'm not, I'm not cheating on just coffee, but this was a special thing. It's in a fancy little glass bottle. And I don't know if you know about this stuff, but I will tell you right now about it. Let's read it. Kopi Luwak coffee comes from the Indonesia island, an area well known for its excellent coffee. Also native to the area is a small civet-like animal called a paradoxorus. The locals call them luwaks. These little mammals live in the trees, and one of their favorite foods is the red ripe coffee cherry. They eat the cherries, bean and all. While the bean is in the little guy's stomach, it undergoes chemical treatment and fermentations the bean finishes it it finishes its journey through the digestive system and exits the still intact beans are collected from the forest floor and are cleaned then roasted and ground just like any other coffee the resulting coffee is said to be like no other it has a rich heavy flavor with hints of caramel and chocolate and shit doesn't say that i added that part other terms used to describe it are earthy, must, and exotic. I'm saying, I guess musty. The body is almost syrupy and it's very smooth. Taste. Yeah, I've got to be honest with you. It's, it tastes kind of shitty. I'm drinking shit berries. I'm drinking shitted coffee right now. I don't mean to be crass, but this is one of those things where I'm like, is it the best? I mean, Christ, he sent it to me in a box. I pulled it out. I popped the jar open by accident. Some of it spilled and I acted like I'd just spilled uh, powdered gold. 
I was very excited about it because it's supposed to be the best in the world. But even the phrasing, you know, the little guys, they left the Y off musty. I mean, I think it's sort of a racket to get the rest of the world to drink shit water. But I don't know. I like coffee. Maybe I didn't mix it right. But needless to say, the fact that a rodent shit these beans out was not a deterrent to me. That was the selling point. We will buy anything if it sounds exotic. Like these are unique because they're berries shitted out by a rodent. And someone said it was the best. It sounds like the greatest practical joke I've ever heard. I'm drinking it though. I wanted it to be so good. I wanted to be addicted to it. I wanted to have to mail order my shit beans from Indonesia. My luwak shitted beans. What is a luwak? Gotta Google a luwak because I feel close to the luwak now. I feel that part of the luwak's process is now running through me. That he did the initial work, this little rodent in the jungles of Indonesia. What if I get some luwak virus? Thanks, Tom, for the coffee. Uh, I, I appreciate the gift. I wish it was better. I do. Maybe I didn't do it right. I, I think I've got to stop buying bullshit. Yeah. Just, this is like radio stuff, man. Nice this job. is This is like radio stuff. Ralphie May. Equipment, rather. I'm yes. sorry. No, no, you're right. No, I wasn't being condescending in any way. Don't ever misunderstand me to be condescending unless I'm being condescending. Okay. You'll be able to tell. I think so. Like, this, this is the condescending tone. Uh, really? Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's every comic's condescending yeah. tone. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> sure. such an amazing word, isn't it? There you go. Really? Yeah. Come on. So, Ralphie May is in the garage. Just got here. I'll do, I'm going to leave the air conditioner off. Brought a sidekick with you. Yeah, a pile of my buddy, Billy Wayne Davis, who uh, works with me all around the country. Very funny, a Seattle comic uh, via Nashville. And uh, Are you living in Nashville? We have a house there. We have a house here. We split our time between the two. When did you go to Nashville? About three years ago. Really? You and your wife? Yeah, my wife. Uh, we um, got we, babies? We do. We have two children, um, uh, two and four. Uh, my daughter just turned four. Actually, she turns four on uh, the 5th. Because, I mean, I, I can't remember the first time I met you, but I think you were 12. <laughs> I think I was, uh, actually, I do. I think it was 92, and it was, um, uh, I was 18. No, 20. Here? 20. In L.A.? Here. Yeah. And you were like living on someone's floor or living with Jay Moore or sleeping on a couch or did we hang out? Did we get high? I wasn't, well, I don't think yeah. I was sober yet. No, you weren't. We, we were, you, you started off with marijuana, then gradually progressed to powders and, and other stuff and had with a great you. time. Oh no, I never did the white. Okay. I knew I was fat. Okay. I was very self-aware and I knew the, I knew the knowledge. <laughs> you wanted to okay. live a little bit? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I still had a lust for life at that point. Uh, but did we hang out and get high? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we, at someone's we, house? At, at the last stop in houston okay oh, when shit. babbitt brought you in with and and mitch hedberg was your feature really and i was your opener oh shit and i was 20 years old really yeah and um i i was blown away by you that's why i always call you mr mayor because i thought you were one of the funniest comics i'd ever seen and i'd worked with bill hicks I fucked that MC job up. I called him Bill Hacks the first night. You did not. I did. I swear to God. On purpose? No, I didn't know. I was. I was. It was the first sold out room yes. at, that Sandy Marcus at the last Hall had ever put me in, and and Bill wanted someone who didn't sound like him. They said I don't Sleep care who it tight. is. 
Sleep okay. tight. He was like, just yeah. just get somebody doesn't is not doing me. Okay? Oh, that's Which hilarious. Was a very hard thing to find at that point. And how old were you? To know. Um, when I worked with Hicks, nineteen, and when I worked with you, uh, like six months later, it, I just turned twenty. God, that must have been near the end of Hicks's thing. Yeah. He yeah. must have been, you know, on his way out. So yeah. you've been doing this since you were, like, what, 17? 17, yeah. Now, where'd you grow up? I grew up in a little town in Arkansas. Who the hell grows up there? What is that like? Is it as bad as we think? Um, Yes and no. I mean, it's naive, okay? It's definitely naive. It lacks a sophistication and a worldly view, you know? Uh, but I gained that through Boy Scouts. At 14, I was in Australia. I was on staff at the World Jamboree in Australia. Yeah. In Australia. And so I had a more worldly view than my town. Like, you know, at, at like seven, I read a map and I'm like, oh, fuck, we can we leave. Can leave. <laughs> Look at all these exits. What are we doing here? But like, I mean, I can't uh, characterize it. Like, what did you grow up? Uh, like, you know, when people say Arkansas, you think, you know, hill people. You think There was a lot of them. There was a lot of them. But like, we, what, we, lived, we lived in the foothills, a little town called Clarksville. And there, yeah. was, there was definitely hillbillies. But there was also, you know, city people that worked and, you know, were educated. And we had a little university in our town. And so it was. You what know, was your family like, like though? Like, like uh, Mine was fucked up, man. You know, um, my mom and dad got divorced when I was two. We moved to Arkansas when I was five, my mom's hometown. And um, my grandmother gave us um, one of her rent houses to live in. Yeah. And it had holes you could see through the wall. You could put, you could wave to somebody out your at your wall. Really. And in the winter, it was all um, plasticed up inside, like Dexter was about to kill somebody. <laughs> okay, all right. And and uh, I remember my buddy Russell Bryant. Uh, he stayed over at my house, and we were under. It was in the winter, and we were under like twenty pounds of blankets. I mean, yeah. it was it was just just quilt, 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 quilt. Yeah. Because the the heater didn't work that well. Okay, and how house. many kids in the family? Uh, the four. There were four, four of you yeah. and your mom and my mom and my dad didn't pay child support on a regular basis and uh, moved from state to state to state to avoid paying child support. And, oh shit! And you know, I mean, do you know that guy? Yeah, 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 and you know what? I, I'm I'm fine with it, man. Uh, because dealing with my mom as an adult, I realize she is crazy, <laughs> and so I can't imagine being married to her. And and uh, you know, so I got it, you know. And and he tried to have contact, and my mom, I mean, mom was she had a house paid for, a big, you like sixty four hundred square foot house in Tennessee, paid for, and in three years managed to lose it. Okay, she's horrible with money, yeah. all right? And he said, I had y'all set up to where I would see you every week, okay? I would see you every night if yeah. necessary. And and your mom, she's just crazy. She can't <laughs> deal with it. And I'm like, and, and we've had conversations, and I'm like, I know, but she's my crazy mom. I love her, you yeah. know? I mean, just because you, you, you got a mental dysfunction doesn't mean you get discounted on love, but, but it was- But money. Was, but, but, yeah. Discounted on money. <laughs> Yeah, Apparently. yeah, and it was tough, man. You know, my mom had more pride than sense, and she worked jobs and went to. She took herself to school, at, you know, at, in their mid forties to be a nurse. And um, and she doing that? And um, she's doing great. She's uh, still nursing, and she's going back to Houston. She, I had her retired, and that's another story. But um, you know, I'm the I'm the youngest of four, and um, so you my, gave her money to to stop working. Yeah, yeah, and then yeah. that went wrong. Yeah, of course. <laughs> so of course. now you, you more identify with your father. 
Yeah, yeah. Now nah, there's no <laughs> help in it. I yeah. mean, I mean, when you want to live like you're a multimillionaire and you're you're a retiree, that just doesn't make any sense, you know. What did she buy? Cars? Um, she bought a car, but she also had my brother talk her into buying 90 acres in Arkansas instead of paying for a house. Okay, yeah. I gave her a lot of money, and people don't understand what in this business what it takes to make a lot of Not money. Easy is you have to almost uh, more than double. Uh, what what it takes, what you get when you, right. you take twenty percent off the top and taxes and and all expenses. Or you mean twenty percent for management and agents? agents and, yeah, yeah, okay. And then and then from there, I mean, it takes everything down. So it's like I have to make twice as much as this. Okay, this is more than my, you. You this is two years of your salary here. Yeah. Here right. you go. Okay? Right, and your right. upper middle class. Here right. you go. Yeah. And and pay for a house, have no bills, have to be some. My brother didn't want to. She was going to move in with my brother and his family, okay. And he ended up divorcing his wife this year, and it's just a mess. So they got this big house up there that he taught my mom into buying and build an all brick house in the middle of the woods. Who does that? Who does that? Someone I mean, from Arkansas. Exactly. Exactly. And, and six thousand square foot. That's a, you're absolutely the. I, I take no offense, and no one from Arkansas should take offense. That's exactly what my brother is. He never wanted. He was a townie. Yeah. He never wanted to leave. Like he thought everything outside of Clarksville, Arkansas, is horrible. The further you get away from it, the yeah. worse you are from the center where you need to be. Yeah. And I, I was I was the direct opposite. I yeah. mean, I didn't even wait to pick up my uh, my uh, diploma. I like mail it to me. Okay. <laughs> I was out. I was doing comedy. I. I that fall, I was part of a beginning scholars program at the University of Arkansas when I was uh, 16, 17. And I got, so I was a full-fledged college student along, I was going for free and going to high school. And I got a chance to open up for Sam Kennison. And Sam had told me to move to Houston. How old were you? I was 17. How old are you now? I'm 39. So that, okay, so that's 22 years ago. Yeah. So I'm trying to figure out what year was that? That was 1989. Okay, so Sam, oh, I knew Sam at that time. Okay. Yeah, and he was huge. He was huge. He was and, just like, he was peaking and he was coming into that yeah. third album probably, or right. maybe just did the second album. Right. Like, he please, was working have on you both me, of them. Have you seen me lately? But Hotter Than Hell was out. Right. So the leader of the band and Have You Seen Me Lately, he, yeah, my, he, that's where he was at there. Yeah. He was playing music too. He had long hair. He's dressing a little, no more trench coats, a little more rock and roll. Right. Right, got it. So and, where was he playing? Uh, the University of Arkansas Ballroom, okay? 3,500 people. Uh, he How'd you get that gig? I won a talent show contest from the K-Hog radio station. Had open because comedy was so hot, and they had it at the Shakey's Pizza. And I remember when you were younger, you were you were kind of influenced by Canison, right? I mean, yeah, you, you screamed yeah. a little, didn't you? Well, yeah, yeah. When when he he said, always oh, said, if you get mad, you know, verbalize it. It draws their attention. Yeah. And 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 he always said, change your inflection and your in your volume while you're speaking, and you will draw them in more because they'll have to listen harder. So, uh, those are preacher tricks. Those are preacher tricks. Okay. And and he you know in Bring him in and, and don't be afraid of silence. He was the first comic who said, don't be afraid of silence. Did you? This is a conversation you had with him after yeah, the, yeah. After I mean, the he, gig? He kind of, a, I mean, he was nicer to me than he was most comedians. So you opened for him on this, you were a prize winner. Yeah, I so was So he was probably, winner. initially he was probably like, yeah, Exactly, yeah, and, here, and he fucked me. Here's how he fucked me. Uh, we were riding in the limo. Yeah. Over, it was the first time I'd been in a limo, okay? And you were with him or just going I to the gig? I was with him, uh -huh. and, and Bill Kennison was there. And uh, and he goes, kid, are you nervous? And I'm like, no. He goes, 
kid, there's going to be 3,500 people there and nobody paid to see you. <laughs> and and I'm like, oh, man, okay. I'm a little nervous. Sweet right. guy, and, sweet guy. And he goes, he goes, do you have a good closer? And I go, I, I did, you know, but I didn't know what it was. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, and, and I go, uh, I don't know what that is. He goes, all right, it's a big joke at the end of your show to end your show with on a yeah. bang. Here, use one of my old ones, okay? Just start screaming and yelling at the audience and insulting them. The more you insult them, the more they'll love it. And then when you're done, put the mic on the phone and, and Drop say, it. go fuck yourself and, and get off the stage. They'll love it. Really? Yeah. Okay. So I'm doing really well uh, for about four or five minutes. I mean, I'm killing. Yeah. Killing. Local references, local yeah. jokes. Yeah. 17-year-old jokes, you yeah. know? And um, uh, uh, he... Uh, <laughs> uh, I I flip a punchline and a setup. I get ahead of myself. Yeah, and then I uh, don't do the other punch after that with any enthusiasm, and I look weak. And you know, in comedy, it's all about confidence. Yeah, you know, if you're yeah. not holding their attention, you're not sure what you're doing. They're not going to be sure. Yeah, and so I I I was panicking. And I remember what Sam had said, so I started railing on these these people. All right, you know, calm. I was like, "Go fuck yourselves, y'all, Ned Beatty, pig fucking, y'all fuck your mothers." Okay, yeah. this horrible diatribe of curses and amateur cursing yeah. too. You yeah. know, just stuff that was like, really. That's you weren't that mean. confident with no, the cursing. No, not even that good. All right, and and. 3,500 people in unison, boo, yeah, boo. Okay, and and I go off. I'm I'm welling did you, up. Did you I'm drop that? Up. Did you drop that mic? No, I put that <laughs> mic back and just left. I was so humiliated. I was like, oh my god. All right, and I had tears in my eyes. All right, and then I go out and and with no music, yeah, no fanfare. Sam Kennison comes out going, can you believe that kid coming out here talking to you good people like that? Oh, oh, oh. He would never do comedy again. No, he didn't. I'll squash him like a bug. All right, and, and now the tears are just rolling because this is my dream, you know. <laughs> this is what I want to do. And and I go backstage and pi- find a payphone. Yeah. And I'm calling my mama Collect to come pick me up because I left the <laughs> the Cutlass at Shakey's Pizza. To and, get the limo. Yeah, to get to ride in the limo. I never ridden in a limo. And um, I, uh, I uh, uh, was calling mom and uh, Bill Kennison came up and hanged the phone up and said, Sam thought that was the funniest fucking thing he'd ever seen. He laughed. He loved how you just blindly did exactly what he wanted. All right. And did it fabulous. Plus, you, you they hate you so much. Now they love him because he was getting protested then by yeah. women's groups. And, right. And the uh, the one at the university had already protested. So he, he took a hit for okay. the team? Apparently. Okay. But I, I, I was totally fucked. Okay. I can't take any credit for it. You're like, yeah, I was a team player. But I instantly really. Like, oh my god, I'm getting another shot at this. Yeah. Okay, okay. Well, all right, good, good. Welcome, good. welcome to show business. Yeah, right? That's how politics works. And and then he took me to they invited me to the after party, okay? And which was no place for a seventeen year old. I gotta be honest with you, I'm thirty nine. I would be uncomfortable being at that party. I mean, there were rails of blow and it was yellow. Yeah. It was that old school blow. That okay. piss, cat piss coke. That, yeah. You know, it's like cut with like gasoline. That's not Something, very good man. coke. I don't know. But, yeah. And then, and, and I mean, but there was just big rocks. That's sad. That must have been the beginning of the decline for Sam where the coke wasn't even fucking white. Man, it was- Dirty it, coke. Dirty coke. It was, um, 
it was like chalk like yeah. they had a, 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 another thing of like uh, chalk like that mm-hmm. I mean just big blocks rocks and um, cutting it up and grinding it and and people were doing bumps and there was booze everywhere and and, and me I've got a beer and a red cup and I've already poured half of it out so and I'm like it. yeah yeah so I'm acting <laughs> like I'm fucking hot shit and I'm not and, I, and Sam comes out of out of the, one of the rooms in the suite and goes uh, kid order some pizza alright and tell him we want beer okay alright no problem so I called the wow, guy wow man you got the pizza. job awfully quick well, here's it 200 was, bucks it, it, no just call him yeah. call him okay so I ordered like 10 pizzas there's like 30 people here Sam would do a line and eat a piece of pizza yeah. that's how degenerate he was that he was a <laughs> cokehead and he could get fucking eat like a pig at the same time oh yeah those are juxtapositions yeah that yeah he was really a happen. pro and, and he you, got, uh, you gotta be uh, you know, well fortified to do that much blow <laughs> yeah right <laughs> you gotta put some pizza on top <laughs> yeah. of it and so the guys deliver the pizza and Sam comes over and pays the guy and then out of his pocket pulls out three little gram bags of of uh, coke yeah and leave it on the thing and go thanks all right and like 20 minutes later we get a phone call hey you guys need more pizza okay <laughs> all right and uh um i uh i i woke up uh on the couch and there was naked girl was walking by me okay and, and this was in a hotel? In a hotel. Yeah. Okay. And uh, there was some other people still there. And But I saw like three naked women. Yeah. That was great. Yeah. And uh, Sam Sam comes up and goes, I like you. You know that? What are you doing here? All right. Because he was from like East, uh, it was like Oklahoma. Right. He was in Oklahoma. And, and, and he goes, what are you doing here? And I'm like, I, I'm, I'm going to school. And he goes, are you really that young? And I'm like, yeah. He goes, Go to Houston. Go to Houston. Go to the workshop. Those fuckers are funny. They're Did the assholes. workshop even exist still? It 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 was this was in um this was in eighty nine. Uh, and then by the time I got there in September of, because I went to Baltimore first. I Why? I lived with a sister there in Baltimore in her basement and had a job and was doing comedy around there in D.C. Because uh, I wanted to be closer because I was thought I was like a political comic. and I You were a political be, comic? A little bit, a little bit, trying to be, you know, I've, I've since dropped the politics and gone to more social issues, you know. What kind of politics uh, were you doing when you started? Was that 90 what? 90, 91, 92. What was the you angle? Know? You decide you were going to D.C. and you're living with your sister. You got a yeah. job. You're doing what? I open doing, mics? I was doing open mics. What I were the clubs running. like? Were you doing uh, both um, black and white clubs? Yeah. Yeah. And um, uh, I only did that for like four months. And then- What was your uh, political angle? Um, I, a conservative Democrat- Okay, uh-huh. basically, is the thing that you know that we we got to be better to our poor because we're making too many of them. Yeah, and like you know, a, a modified social that that's not that's not a progressive idea. Is that I I think we if we're gonna there's not there's too much murder in this country to be as civil as we are. Okay, we're amazingly uncivil and we're uh-huh. very violent, uh-huh. and it's because the ramifications aren't enough. I think that uh, you know if you if you're a violent criminal, you've opted out of the Constitution because the first three letters are "We the People." Okay, and 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 you know I think it's so you're important saying, yeah. that you pro know, death that, you know, penalty, definitely sympathetic, sympathetic to the poor, sympathetic to the poor, pro gun, a little bit, yeah, yeah, okay I, I think, with I gay think, people, uh, very, yeah, very, yeah. 
Um, and 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 ninety that was that was a very interesting perspective. Pro drug, pro uh, gay people. You know that it was a very homophobic time. But you, you know? got no problem with social programs. I, I need, need to be trimmed back because at a point you you the people begin to atrophy. But you're not and, a libertarian necessarily. No. No, no. I think government has a definite role in place and that as a nation we need to remember that we're, I mean, we were the first to have uh, freeways that span over twice the distance as Europe, okay? And we did it in a generation. We built dams, but our best nuclear facilities are 30 years old. I mean, why have we stopped embracing the future right. and, and, and moving towards a better containment, better design, you know? Nuclear I mean, energy yeah, or weapons yeah. as well? No, no. Nuclear energy, energy. Energy is, I mean, that's the only way to do it. But, you know, we shut down the, the collider. And then in Swiss, uh, Switzerland and France, they've, they've done it. They, they made the God particle. So when you were, when you were in uh, D.C., so we, now you used to play Black Rooms, right? Yeah, I played a lot of them, a lot of them. And because they were the only ones who put me up, you know, the white clubs wouldn't let me in because I wasn't over 21. And so um, I lived there in, outside of Baltimore, or close to uh, Lock Raven. And then um, we... Uh, at uh I, my mom was like you got to go to college you got to go to college just uh she was living in Houston with my sister and they're all working and doing and doing great Houston was in a boom and but let uh, me just ask you before we get to yeah. Houston I mean because there's not a lot of dudes there's not a lot of white, white dudes that you know had success in black rooms and there's right. a certain type of white comic that can do it yeah now, and you found that you could do it yeah i was i was why i i, I think Honestly, is that black people have an empathy with with someone who's different? I think they feel it more resonantly than uh, white people do. Different how? Um, when you're black people are looked at different. They're they're when they're walking on the street. Yeah, white people will lock their doors. When when white guy right in front of them walked closer to the car, right, and they didn't do anything, but because they're black, there's a perception. Yeah, and and they come. It's endemic in what's what the black experience has been in this nation. I mean, so first three hundred years they were beaten. Right. And so then, so then what does that have to do with you? Learned, is that I I realized that I was because I was fat that I was different yeah. and that um, I also you know wanted anyone to be a friend with and um, I wasn't you know I, I liked hip hop music uh, I could talk it because I enjoyed it you know I thought I thought it was a new art form it was like it was, it was poetry and music so that combined. was your thing because yeah. I mean even now you have a sort of uh, cadence there's a cadence that you have. Yeah, but it also comes from being a Southern guy. I mean, you pick Arkansas. up a certain... Yeah. yeah, I mean, I was born in Tennessee, raised up in Arkansas, and I moved to Texas when I was 18, so I mean, I'm Southern as it gets. All right, you so know. you get to Houston. Who's on the scene? The scene was really, really good, but it was all... 15 years older than me. Yeah. Okay, I was the youngest guy to come through there since Bill, and... And and so everybody, because I wasn't as good as Bill, everyone immediately discounted me. Okay, and 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 I was doing more fat oh, but jokes because you, you were young. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. I was young. I was trying anything, and fat jokes kept on getting the biggest punch. So I just kept on fucking pommeling them with them. And 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 a comic named Dante Garza and Charlie Shannon uh, came to me and, and said, um, "Hey, uh, don't." Uh, uh, why don't you you got to decide okay whether you want to be a fat comic or a comic that just happens to be fat yeah and it, it it resonated with me and i was humiliated by the the truth that i was just leaning on this thing fucking too hard 
and that I was just being this fat joke, fat joke, fat joke, predictable, that how could that ever last for 30 minutes or 45 minutes? How could I ever be a headliner if that's all I did and subsist on that alone? You know, you have to say something. And, uh, and I, so I was under their tutelage, you know, I, um, was amazed i learned everything about comedy from those guys and and i even though the workshop had been closed down that dana coke was 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 washed out it was run i landed at the comedy showcase that was run by a comedian named danny martinez who's one of the smoothest comedians i've ever seen um he can go up and talk for an hour and 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 he was doing it it was like a mexican cosby and he would never curse, and he was smooth as shit and funny, wicked funny, standing ovations every show. And when he got, he was done when he got down to the bottom of his cigar. All right, this is good night, folks. And it was like a one man show. Every time he and he would talk comedy with me, and he, I didn't have a father. He kind of took me under his wing and and taught me how to be a man a little bit. And the, what, those were those, guys, what were those lessons? Could you share them with me? I'm not sure I have them. I, I think you probably do. <laughs> you know, responsibility, you know, work on your craft, you know. And like he asked me how much time I think I had. And I said 15. He goes, you maybe have five, you know, yeah, underestimate, yeah, 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 you know, yeah. and, and be real. And and taught me the ins and outs and the tricks. And, and you know, there, there was a really good supportive movement. Uh, the last stop, there was 150 open micers. And and they they do open mics. And comics were making gigs for themselves. And there was so much good things going on. I mean, in Houston, it was incredible. And, and, and you were 21? 20, 21. And I got a job in a bar. It was my day job. You know, I was a bartender and doorman at a bar called The Pig and um, in Houston, which is just moving Coke or just turning a blind eye to Coke was the best way to make money. You know, whatever. Yeah. If, whatever you want to do, that's the guy you want to talk to. All right. Thank you. Appreciate you. All right. And um, um, the hookup. Yeah. I was the, I was the go. Yeah. And um, I remember, you know, these workshop comics, man, they, they didn't like me because I started, I started moving up really fast. Like once I, I got into this, I started moving up and, um, they would like this happened one time to me. This is a mean fucking comedy trick. Um, I had these gigs uh, closing for Marty Schilling. It was uh, Friday, Saturday in North Houston, and then yeah. the Sunday night in Galveston. You stay the night in Galveston, wake up the next day, you're on the beach, have a nice time, right? You know those guys. They uh, they taught me a lot, but they I had these gigs, and then they called me up on Thursday and uh, acting like a booker from uh, the Valley. Uh, who wanted me to do two shows and uh, I was going to make $2,000 and this one I was only going to make, you know, six fifty, and uh And so I called Marty and I go, uh, could I get out of these gigs because this gig is there? I don't want to upset you and I don't want to put you in a bad way at all. All right. And they were like, no, no, this comic called just a minute ago. I'll get him to fill in. No yeah, problem. Yeah, yeah. You going to make that money. Good for you. And we'll get you next month. And I'm like, really? That's so nice. Thank you. So I said, I called that guy back and I go, yeah, I'm in. And he goes, okay. So I drove 12 hours and there was no gig. A comic did that? And, yeah. And what uh, the fuck? They hated me. That's hated fucking, me. that's horrendous. I, it's horrendous. Why'd they hate you that much? A, they thought I was a hack, okay, and they, uh, because there's no way a you guy- You got names? 
uh, I don't want to throw people under the bus. Some of them right. aren't even in the business anymore. Well, so, there I mean, you go. It's like, you know, and none of them are as successful as I am. So if I do it, it's just kind of bitter and Okay, cunty. all right. And, and you know, and they, you're doing and they, the right thing. And they were doing it as a collective. I mean, it's one thing to be punk or to be funny, but Jesus Christ. Yeah, and it cost me. some kid and, drive and, 12 hours? And, and that's 12 hours there, 12 hours back, okay, with no money. And, and it was at the end of the month. And the guy who took it made fun of me when I went to open mic on Monday. I go, man, I just totally got fucked by this booker. And they're like, ah, that was us. Ah. All right, they were totally fucking rude, man. And 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 they they all and it's weird because once you get labeled a hack, here's what happened. I was 18 at an open mic, and I I was leaving the open mic as T. Sean Shannon was performing, and then two weeks later. I was at the uh, comedy showcase, and Captain Rowdy Frank Lunny uh, was performing, and he was he was he was really really a great comedian. Yeah. Okay. Captain Rowdy was one of the really I mean just and dark. I mean everybody likes Jim Norton now, and he was doing Norton in '90. Okay, yeah. but better. Yeah. Okay, he was doing it better than Dice was doing it. He was really really good. And just a smooth comedian and fucking funny and likable, dirty, okay, filthy. And uh, and I, I gave him this joke, and, and it's been done a thousand times since by different comedians, okay. And 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 it wasn't specific, but because I had I we realized where it happened. Um, the the joke is, um, uh, so I was butt fucking this guy, and afterwards he wants to cuddle. What a fag! Yeah. Okay, I, I joke. You, you've seen that in a thousand ways. Yeah. Okay. All right. And uh, Tishon was there that night. Okay, to watch Captain Rowdy. All right. And then and I told Rowdy, hey, do this joke. You know, I was fucking butt fucking this guy, and and so I gave Tishon's joke to fucking Captain Rowdy. Okay, unbeknownst. That's the only way it could have happened. All right, and, so that was Tishon's joke. Yeah, Tishon's joke. Yeah, and and T uh, went fucking crazy, and Charlie goes, "Hey, the guy, kid doesn't know anything. Nobody talks to him." Okay, I didn't know the rules. Okay, I didn't know the because nobody was fucking helping me. They all hated me, and uh, Charlie calmed it down, and then told T what happened, and he goes, "Yeah, I guess you know I'm going to stop that joke anyway because it, I'm sure somebody else is doing it." And 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 but you know he and T. Uh, Charlie and Tishon and Frank all forgave me but everybody else just gave them reason to hate me and so I, I got to a point where I wouldn't even go in and watch a comedian and open mics like I would never watch stand up I, I would I had to almost develop in a vacuum and, and develop runks comedians that had a fear uh, out of fear for being labeled. Just the label alone will fucking kill you. Well, that, so you're 21 years old. Do you think that the bullying had anything to do with your weight? Yeah. I mean, yeah. because like, I, I just seems that you mean you take a lot of shit to begin with. Yeah. And they feel like they can, that, that you can just absorb it and fucking take that shit. Yeah. Yeah. And they, they were really horrific. Who was nice? Thea Vidal was nice. She's sweetheart. Thea, Thea said, uh, fuck those ungrateful bastards. They're just mad because they're not as funny as Sam or Bill. All right. And when they those guys were telling them to get on the train to Opportunity, they were at the bar having another drink. But isn't that true about Texas that, that the shadows of those two guys hung over that fucking scene forever? Forever, man. And Everybody, of- it was like, I mean, there were so many Hicksian comedians. Oh, no, I know. Yeah. I mean, and, and, it, and Austin was worse, man. Austin was, was worse about because they were so fucking good too you know you know disciples of bill hicks you know um tom uh 
Tom Hester, yeah, Tom yeah. Hester. He's an incredible comedian, all right? And and he, he was really, really good, but he was doing Higgs, kind of, you know? But he was also doing his own thing, too. And it was just, he was the only one that I saw was like who'd taken a Hicksian influence and actually expounded upon it and ingrained himself and like infused himself with so, the Hicks thing. So what made you, uh, like, what made you finally say, I got to get the fuck out of here? Um... I was I was going to because I wanted to go instead of seeing what these comics in Houston were doing. Yeah, I would save up my money and I would fly to Los Angeles and put myself up in a little shed hotel, the Farmer's Daughter Hotel. Oh yeah, down on uh, Fairfax. Yeah, and I would I would go watch and I would pay to go watch what the top comedians were doing, and I'd see all these guys and I was like, I'm not that far away. I'm not so you that far that. away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. I, know. I, I could do so it. So you would actually take friends. a trip to L.A. just to pay for comedy shows. Yeah. You didn't even have enough, uh, and no friends here. No friends. And and I would go. I went and saw the Price is Right once. And, at and, CBS? And, yeah, Because you saw the people standing yeah, yeah, online? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and I was telling on. jokes out there. And, and you Wait a minute. You told jokes to the line? Yeah, I was telling jokes. I was being funny in the line and stuff like that. Like and, in an organized way? Kind of, I just start and people would turn their attention. They're waiting in line. They might as well be entertained. And, and I you, get people laughing. You did stand and up on line. And the producers wanted me to, uh, to the, you know, where, where are you going to be seated? We want to put you on an aisle. Okay. And, yeah. I, and, and I was going to be moved in. And then uh, they, they didn't. They switched me back. I guess I was too fat. I don't know. <laughs> All right. But yeah, I was funny. And, um, but I had, I would come out and I would go to New York to watch. Who were you seeing in LA? Though, like, what resonated with you? Oh man, um, Gary Shanling, I thought was a genius at the comedy uh, store. Uh huh. Um, and no, at the Improv. Oh yeah. And, and then um, uh, I saw uh, Tim Allen. I saw uh, he was a beast. Um, was that like 91, 92? 91, 92. Uh-huh. And 93, you know, as Sam, I see yeah. Sam everywhere and he he take me on his wing and we'd go we'd go walk down from the comedy store and go eat at Carney's. Sure, have a okay? dog. Yeah, and he he I, are you okay? Are you okay? And I'm like I'm I'm, I'm trying, man. I want, you know, and he goes, those cocksuckers are being dicks, aren't they? And I'm like, yeah, they kind of are and and he load me up with cheeseburgers. Take these cheeseburgers. All right? And and uh um, you know, and and he was like, you know, you could come out here, you could stay at my house, you could, you know, clean up a little, you know, help me, you know. I, and I go, I can't, I can't. My mom still wants me to go to college, and and uh, and he's like, okay, but if you want to, you know, they're giving you shit, and and he would upset the the his old buddies at the laugh. I mean, at the, the last store? stop that that oh, were from yeah in in Houston when he'd come back because he had me open for him, and and they were really pissed. I mean, they were all mad because they they'd come up with him. Oh, right? so shit. And, you, and it, you had to get out of town at some man, point, just because. And, and, <laughs> and I was, you know, I was headlining yeah. already around Texas, and and I did. I I couldn't take it. I thought I was going to quit. And uh, my buddy Mike Jorgensen, who was the residential manager, he was doing stand up. Uh, residential manager of the uh, Four Seasons got me a job cooking, and and so I, you're and opening for chef, Kennison and you're cooking. Yeah, yeah. You know, when he comes into town, I would do the the shows that week. But to make ends meet, you know, I had a what a line cook. 
Uh-huh. And, and a sous chef and moved up. And the guy liked me. I had a lot of personality. You can I had cook? a lot of heart. Yeah, I can really cook. And um, uh, he got a job at Nola's, Emeril Lagasse's restaurant in New Orleans, and asked me if I wanted to come over. So I, I looked into it. I drove over. I fell in love with the city. I thought it was cool as shit. And I love the music. I love the scene. And um, I rented a back room uh, house and would, uh, knew nobody in the city, would go to work, smoke weed with the black dishwashers afterwards, go to Felix's for oysters, drink beer, come back and realize I hated beer. It was like, uh, how long were you there? Um, six months. And then working I at do, Nola? At Nola's. And, as um, a sous chef? As a sous chef, yeah, I was there's there's a there's a, a bar where you can cook in front of people. People come yeah. up to have private dining, yeah. All right, and they taught me how to cook their food, and I you know I can remember how to do it. Jesus, it's, it's memorization, yeah, you know, no big deal. And um, uh, because I could talk to them and entertain them, I'd get them. Uh, they would sell more wine to them. They would like they would you know I had a, a they wanted me to be the face of the of the of the place. So okay? what do you what do you like to cook now? Um, I still like third coast cuisine. I yeah. still like you know Texas, Louisiana, and you like the en- do you entertain? You cook for your wife? Do I you... do, I do, I do. And um, can you butcher a pig? And I can. I have. <laughs> I have. I've, I've sorted out hog before. It's a, it's it's a messy business, but somebody's got to do it. Uh, but um, yeah, I, I cook. I cook really well. You know, heavily French influence. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, you can't get this big by accident. You know, I mean, it's not osmosis. It's, yeah. You got to put some heart into it. Yeah. And, um, um, you know, I uh, was was having a great time, but I was doing on the weekends. I was doing um, comedy zone gigs, all their southern runs. Yeah. Okay, I was doing I all the Louisiana run, or the the Mississippi, Alabama, Florida gigs, coconuts. Um, I was working Aaron. the punchline. Yeah. Okay, and I would do that. You know, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Uh, and then back in New Orleans on uh, Sunday morning to work that night to Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Jesus Christ! You had like yeah. you, you lived like three lives, four lives. So you were yeah. got, you were on the path to becoming a cook, really. Yeah, yeah, and and comedy was they were moving me up at at places. I'd get to places, then on the second night they'd have me headlining because the the guy said the guy blew him off the stage, and I thought that was what you're supposed to do is be the best you can. Well, how much and is that's it? Not the best way to do it. But but you know to be a killer middle, you know you're gonna piss off a couple headliners. Yeah. I got I had some karma from that. You eventually, yeah. you know, as a headliner, you're gonna take the hit. Like there's a couple right. weeks where like I used to do that, and I and I knew I did it. Because all you got to do really is close really big, and they're gonna you know depending on who they are they've got you got the easiest spot. man. It's a great spot, but I I remember that like anytime it happens to me now, if a middle hands me my ass once at one show or two shows a week in a little bit of a way, I'm like I had it coming. Yeah right. (laughs) Yeah I I got I got this. This is mine. It's his night. Good for him. Yeah. And um and so I was doing that. This is like '96. But how much do you think honestly? What do you think it is about the weight that you know, because you said that coming people into the garage. People are easily dismissive of overweight people. Uh-huh. They, uh huh. Statistically, people, if on just picture to picture, they think that the more overweight you are, the dumber you are. And, and that uh, the more of a victim you are. And I wasn't trying. I had a life-changing event at 16. I got into a major car wreck, and, and, and my ass got handed me a big old plate of humble pie, and I had to eat it because I was at the mercy of other people. What, what happened? You almost died? A, yeah, I did die, actually. 
Um, I was in a car wreck. I broke uh, 42 bones. 42 se- bones? 64 separate breaks. I broke my uh, uh, three vertebrae in my lower back and uh, fractured two. You went through the neck. windshield? Um, I bounced in and around of a 84 Chevy Silverado rolled uh, it? truck. Rolled it four to five times, flipped it five to six end over end, and then rolled it more yeah. down a hill. Wrapped around a tree, and my legs were crushed. Both femurs were broken. Oh, God. When the steering wheel came Jesus down Christ. on it. And um, it was it was a mess, man. You know, I was only conscious for like a car rolled over and was laying on its side, and and gas was pouring out on me, and and um, it was I was conscious for like maybe a minute, minute and a half, and then I woke up twelve days later in a hospital in Russellville, and um, they had put me in a drug induced coma to. Uh, to set the uh, to, shit. To, to reduce uh, brain swelling. Uh, I had three concussions, you know, and they, I had, um, if you look right here, I got a little scar right there where they had a halo brace on and they had already stabilized my vertebrae. And But uh, but and then in the back, I had a hole that was drained off fluid. I had a shunt to my head um, to get to, to allow the, uh, the brain to expand without uh, causing more brain damage. And and I was uh, spinal swelling for 10 months. I was basically wheelchair bound, you know, worked to be able to walk and stuff. And um, I, I broke a lot of bones and I was in, and I was a mean guy before. Um, I was a dick, I was a bully. And uh, there was a kid that, um, that I was, um, I went to school with uh, named Paul Johnson. He was a great below me, but we went to the same church, and I wasn't in church for Jesus. I was just there for the social, you yeah. know. And um, uh, it, it was it was fun, you know. It was something to do on Sunday, and um, it was a good meal. It was hanging out with your buddies. It was a good time, and I'd be nice to Paul on that day uh, on Sunday. And then Monday through Friday, I would participate, if not initiate, um, a hateful slurs at him because he was a gay kid. And uh, he was very effeminate and um, uh, he's a sweetheart of a guy. And I participated in that. And uh, and so I was I was a liar. I was lying to myself. I was lying to who I was. And on Sunday, I was lying in the face of God. You know. And, so one on one, you were a yeah. nice guy, and you really liked the guy. But right. because when because got- it was part of a group mentality, and yeah. it was weaker. You know that that I've, I've fed on it. And um, uh, after the after the first couple of weeks. My friends wouldn't come visit me in the hospital. I was in the hospital for forty-eight days. Why? Um, they they had other stuff. They had already moved on. You know. Okay. All right. And it was thirty miles, and and Paul, uh, his mom would drive him down, and he'd bring all my schoolwork. He did also all voluntarily. All right. Even though, it was, and and kept me where I didn't have to miss a year of school, and um, he he was there every day. So when I finally got back, and I was walking, and I had some juice. Uh, this was my senior year. I, um, uh, I, I was, I was still kind of strong. You know, I'd rehabbed enough to where I had some of my strength back before. And, um, I shoved a guy's head who was fucking with Paul into a locker and broke his nose and, um, uh, kicked his leg out from under him, his knee and hurt his knee and, and kicked him in the fucking head. And uh, and I said nobody fucks with this kid anymore, and um, it, it was it was amazing what that did. But because I finally paid my friend back for all this shit, and I was like, this guy's gonna have a fucking decent year. He's not gonna get fucked with this year. And um, 
I I lost touch with him after I left uh, Clarksville. And I was in um, Dallas, Texas. And uh, he came up to me and uh, and said that after his whole life. Yeah. No shit. Yeah. And nearly 20 years later. And uh, it was it was very humbling. What did he say? He changed his whole life? Yeah, I changed my whole life. It it was like he was out and he was, you know, he he was like, uh, thank you so much. Uh, you really made life easier for me, and 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 uh, I really appreciate it. You're, you're a good guy, and it's it's weird. I've had those things since, and um, you know it, it was strange. You know it was a strange thing. So I moved back after New Orleans uh, to Houston, and um, I was doing there. I was doing a um, uh, defensive driving, and so I was getting really good at defensive driving. I was teaching at the comedy showcase and. Making money, doing that. Are you teaching driver's ed? Yeah, driver's ed. For people that wanted yeah. to get points off of their record? Well, in Texas, you could get any traffic violation expunged and receive at the same time a 10% discount on your insurance. And that was done through the comedy code because they did that here, right? Right, right. And they right. had comics teaching yeah. that shit. Yeah. And they had comics teaching it. And for me, it was just being in front of an audience for six hours and making people that hate my fucking guts and don't want to be there laugh their balls off. And to where people would come like, I mean, I had guys coming six, seven times. I go, man, I'm a suck as a teacher. They go, no, it's me. Okay, it's not you. I get good knowledge, but at least I come here and I'm entertained. Yeah. You know, and, so, and I get developed a, a real big following from that. I and mean, it just gave me more really? confidence. Yeah. No, like yeah. getting back to it before I forget the train of thought we were on before uh, yeah. on the uh, on the weight thing is that because uh-huh. you said that people think that fat people are either uh, dumb or, or victims. And, yeah. but, and I, I think also that isn't there uh, like, so you're basically saying that when a, a guy who's, who's heavy, you know, has you know can speak up for himself. It's almost like you know you you who are won, you? You, what, you yeah. arrogant prick, or 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 like you've won a fight because right. you're, you're not like the kind of uh, guy that's going to be like you know fuck you. Well, you are kind of, but I, I mean, am. but but yeah. but you've seen like when. I think when people see a guy your size, you know, speaking up for himself, because a lot of like heavy dudes, you know, they're ashamed of themselves. Right. So you've somehow transcended that shame. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, I mean, you've won somehow. Yeah. And, and it's like, I mean, and I had girls, Mark. I mean, there was, uh, that's another thing that they were dismissive of. You know, if I got a girlfriend, uh, they were, they, they would, those comics were so fucking vile. They would go after her. Like if I brought her around, okay, they would go after her. All right, and make up all this shit. They did it to my now wife. Uh, we were together in uh, 1998, and she's open micer. And um, I was teaching defensive driving, and I came to open mic at about nine o'clock to spend time with her. Right, and uh, I come there, and she immediately takes me outside and goes, "They're telling me you're a hack, you're a thief, you're a joke thief that." You're an asshole that you're lying to everybody saying I'm fucking you and they know it's a lie and stuff like that. And the truth mm-hmm. is, the night before was the first time we had actually made love. Yeah. Okay. And I was desperately in love with her. So did you say, and but I am fucking you? I, and, no, no, no. I said, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't have the wherewithal, but it was because I was so infuriated that yeah. these, these fucking miserable fucks yeah. had, had done this to me that I, uh, I wanted to fucking strangle him. And I, it came down 
that you know i go let's get him here and and none of those guys would look me in the fucking eye they all knew what they had done to me and i called them all cunts to their fucking face and i said you're a bunch of loser fucks you're jealous of me you always have been all right go fuck your mothers all right if anybody wants to fucking do something let's go outside and i fucking had my baseball bat and i was ready to fucking whip their ass in front of the last stop and they all went out the back way and left okay and that's when that's when that shit stopped okay and i said i was gonna fucking i was gonna go to town i was gonna break their cars i was gonna fucking pummel them and they all stopped so let's talk about the uh the transcendence i mean because you won you know yeah. you're not your national headliner you sell out you know people fucking love you yeah so okay so you're teaching defensive driving yeah. you got a girlfriend you've had to defend yourself against a bunch of assholes yeah now, was there, did you ever get called that? I mean, outside of the T-Shawn to Shannon thing, was there ever another joke? They would always incident? say, they would always say, I uh, rewrote the joke so it's not the same. And, and yet they would never cite instance after instance. They had, they had passed this on to the younger comedians coming up so much that one time I went back to Houston that, and I was there and, uh, this comic who had some balls named Quinn Hatch came up to me and was calling me a joke thief and a fucking piece of shit. Even though I hadn't been in Houston since he'd never done comedy. He'd yeah. never met me before. That, and he just heard from all these other comedians how I was a joke thief and an asshole. God, what are we, a bunch okay. of fucking girls? Yeah. I mean, what, yeah. what, what, what a bunch of gossipy fuck. Like, yeah. it's amazing. Like, shouldn't these guys be doing something other than this? Well, just watch me. I'm not doing anybody but me, okay? I'm just, I'm, these, these jokes couldn't be written by anybody else but me okay all right and and they're not they're not usual jokes okay all right and and that was amazingly topical and i was just pummeling 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 and and dougie stanhope had taken me under his wing and 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 we met that night dougie you and dougie were doing going bump from a bump it was a good time i'm I'm trying to remember that yeah yeah dougie was living in his car and he's dressed up by houston and and he was there um, and uh, Mitch and you and me, we all stayed at the Allen Park Inn and fucked that place up and had a great time. And Doug fucked the girl next to me. Am I blacking okay. this out? You sure it was me? Mary, it okay. was Mary. Stop. It was, right. it was stop. Right. Really? Really? No. <laughs> um, uh, he, uh, um, they were, it was, it was a crazy thing, you know, and I, it, all that drama stopped. So and, what was the big career changer? I gave Joey Medina, a, com- a Mex- uh, actually a Puerto Rican comedian, a ride from Houston uh, to the Latino Laugh Festival in San Antonio because he was going to have to take a bus. And I'm like, man, I'm not doing nothing. I'll take you over there. And I had money. It wasn't a big deal. I was making tons of money. And if it's driving a stand up and working around, I would never leave Houston and I could make 30000 a year. Yeah. Okay. And, um, uh, then you had, you know, minor drug sales. You had, uh, you know, w- working a day job to boot. You know, I was doing all right. So I was like, yeah, I'll drive you over, man. And so I drove Joey over, and they they heard about it, and he told people how nice it was that I drove him over since they had to take a bus. That they gave me a, a, a spot. You could go up first on this showcase. And um, I went up at that, uh, that comedy club right there on the Riverwalk, and uh, got a standing ovation in 11 minutes. It's a big room. And big room and um and everybody was there from the networks and they had never seen anybody this like This is a me. Latino festival. The Latino Comedy Festival. Yeah. Dominic Dunn from um uh 
from ABC was there. She gave me her card. All these guys gave me their cards. I got management. I got agency representation from there. And they said, you have to come to Los Angeles. We'll see you in oh, two weeks. Get your affairs together. And so I packed up everything into my Toyota 4Runner and, and moved to L.A. And I got to L.A. and Doug goes, hey, I got you a place to stay. Um, uh, and I'd come out here for like three months living on a floor of uh, Joe for? Medina's Joe Medina's and Alex Ramundo's apartment and um, uh, they said uh, Ralphie stay here and then and but Doug was like get out of that I got you a place at 1440 North Gardner and um, uh, you'll stay it was his Matt Becker his buddy was you'll sublease his house but actually he wants to keep his stuff so he's going to pay his rent he's working in Alaska alright and uh, you just stay there no problem so I stayed there for a year for free I, yeah. got, I got settled you know that's why I feel so much calmer to help other comedians and um, uh, these guys were were terrific man I mean Dougie Dougie made me this he told me he goes Stanhope yeah Doug Stanhope he was like you have to be in comedy clubs every night Okay, when you first get here, go to every comedy club every night. And I and I met Joey Diaz, and Joey Diaz was like, yeah, come with me. I'll go and introduce you at the comedy store. And he introduced me at the comedy store, and that Sunday, it was a Saturday, Sunday I showcased for Mitzi, and then she made me a paid regular on the spot and gave me main room spots. And she said the only person she'd ever done that for besides me was uh, Roseanne. Yeah. And, and I was like, wow, that's incredible. And then on Tuesday, I showcased at Jamie Masada's, uh, the Laugh Factory, and, um, I got, uh, I got passed there. I was doing eight spots there, and then I went to the improv, and, uh, I got passed there all in the same week. So in one week, I'm in LA, and in the course of four days, I've already done like 16 spots, and, and over the course of the week, I've got, 22 spots or 28 spots something like that uh i was doing three and four spots a night four or five spots you were ready in la in la i was ready i was ready for it but it was weird and then i was working all the latino rooms too because i'd always been cool with these guys and uh, latino and black rooms too so i mean i when i hit la in in 99 9 2000 i mean dan cook was there mitch mulaney you know uh, alonzo bowden you know these these are guys that were throwing heat you know around la and and i was going up right behind him or right in front of him like they get a, dan cook would get a standing ovation and i go get another one and then dave chappelle would go up i mean you know or follow chappelle after dan cook it's like motherfucker for yeah. real i mean these guys are lights out and the, it was just so much good comedy here you know i mean it was like i'd never been there and i had none of that weight from anybody else you know nobody was giving me any shit i wasn't called a joke thief i was called an original now how much affected uh, uh your relationship with jay more and the last comic standing thing uh have on you know the popularity oh there's no there's no comp there's no question um jay and i met in 2000 at the laugh factory he he hated me at first because i was doing this joke about how the kennedys are just the stupidest people of all time and and he was he's very pro kennedy you know and i was saying all of them joe kennedy had weak sperm and i went through all the kennedys jfk so jay gets pissed off yeah, he gets he gets mad, and I, and I'm talking about because this is like a week after JFK Jr.'s plane went down. Oh, okay. All right? And so and you're I'm, you're I'm, you're like me, you know? You, I'm you, fresh you, on it. Yeah, like yeah. there's never there's never a too soon. You yeah, know? sure. And uh, it was pilot error, and I said, you know, the happiest person.
person in the world was his ex girlfriend, Daryl Hannah. All right, she his was ex girlfriend. Yeah, yeah. So I'm so glad that motherfucker didn't marry me, and <laughs> and because uh, I'd have been on that plane, and I said, and that's fucked up because that bitch was a mermaid. She could have saved his life. All right, and that's when Jay goes, oh, okay, I get it now. All right, I see his angle. All right, and he told me after, he goes, hey, you did that, and then you did that joke, and it's like this. So we started talking. And he goes, man, you're really fucking funny. I, I was really impressed. I love watching you. you. I don't get much joy out of watching other comedians, and that was really, really fucking great. And I'm like, thanks, man, no problem. And then the next day, um, I was, uh, I, L.A. was is, was hard. You know, there's no money. You know, you've been getting all these spots, and you're doing all this work, but you, there's no money, you know, in L.A., hardly. And I was working Latino rooms to try to make my rent and selling weed and, and doing what I could to hustle. And, um and I didn't have much rent at this point, you know. It was like five fifty a yeah. month, you know, and it wasn't that big a deal. But I didn't have money for my gas, you know, and I didn't have valet tip money. Yeah, I didn't have money to waste, and so I was just walking from Gardner down to the Laugh Factory to go catch some spots. And Jay drove his truck by and stopped and goes, "Why are you fucking walking?" And I'm like, "Because I, I, well, um, the truth." And he goes, "Yeah, I." don't have money for valet i don't have money for gas okay I, I i just don't have money you know i got hit with a bunch of tickets and and i'm fucked and he goes why don't you have money and i'm like <laughs> I, i'm like because i just don't dude i mean it's hard you know i do all these spots and i don't get paid for them or you get 30 bucks you yeah. know it's like what the fuck is that gonna do you know yeah. and and he was like fuck that and get in the car, first of all, all right? So we get in the car, all right? And he, he called up Matt Frost, his agent, and goes, hey, my new opener is Ralphie May. All those improv gigs that I got, Ralphie May's my new opener, okay? Make it happen. And boom, he booked me 16 weeks of work right there. And I'd never been able to get into the improvs because even though I was a killer feature act, none of the, these fucking titty baby, lazy fucking headliners wanted to follow it. Yeah. All right? They don't want to follow somebody getting a standing ovation. And that's what I told Jay. I go, the improvs won't work me because I'm too strong for their acts, and yet I don't have any TV credits, so I can't get on their, I can't get on their stage as yeah. a headliner. And he's like, fuck that. I, I want to be pushed. All right? You come work with me, and you kill every show. And he let me do it. And he introduced me to all these clubs that would have me close Wednesday, Thursday. He'd do Friday, Saturday, and Sunday and and drop down to features. So I'd make an extra $500 right there. He was paying my air. He took care of me. And uh, when he got more sports, he goes, I want to give you a chance to be a writer. You're a great writer. You've been writing jokes for me. And, um, and so I got to be on a writing staff for a year. Uh, which was amazing, and and it's weird because uh, like that summer he goes, I got this show, uh, and um, uh, called Comic House, and when it comes out, I want you to do it. That's the name of the pilot. It was called Comic House for Last Comic uh, for Last Comic Standing, yeah. yeah. And um, and he mentioned it once, and then didn't mention it again. I'm I'm in Hawaii. I'm headlining uh, the Laugh Factory Honolulu, and my girlfriend is with me. And she's featuring, and we're having a blast, vacation. This is Thursday. I've been there since Tuesday. Having such an amazing time. Um, uh, on Thursday, Jay calls and goes, hey, I need you to come and audition for this show. And I'm like, what show? He goes, remember that show Comic House? I go, yeah, it's, it's called Now and Last Comic Standing. Okay? And I want you to uh, come in. And I go, okay, when? And he goes, on Saturday, as in two days Saturday? And he goes, yeah, it's an invitation-only um, uh, 
event and 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 I go, well, Jay, you're the EP, right? And he goes, yeah, just put me on it, dude. Yeah. All right? You, yeah. know, you know I work. I mean, who knows my back better than you? If yeah. you think I'm great for it, then I'll, I'll be great for it. And he goes, no, nah, NBC won't let me pick anybody. You have to come and do it. And I'm like, okay, all right, who am I auditioning for? Um, Bob and Ross from the uh, uh, Tonight Show. And I'm like, man, I know those guys. They just saw me last week. They love me. And he goes, well, you got to audition again under the everything. And I'm like, oh, man, all right. Uh, God, I, I don't know if I can, Jay. I'm working in Hawaii, and I don't have enough money to let me let me see the airfare i'll call you back yeah so my wife and i look up the airfare and the airfare is like 850 dollars i'm only making 1200 for the week yeah all right and 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 that's just to get there and come back to be able to finish the week to you know so i don't leave them hanging and um uh my wife or my girlfriend at the time goes you can't afford this can you i go no she goes i don't want you to know i believe in you and um I think you're going to kill this fucking thing. So I'm going to put it on my credit card and I'm going to fly you back and you go do the audition and you knock yourself out. And, and I was like, are you serious? Her share of the rent was only 600. She's going to give me 850 on a, on a, on a maybe. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I flew back and, um, I, I was so max. It was a red eye. I had done the show on on uh, Friday night and got on a plane and came to uh, back to L.A. and just tired and fucking pissed and mad and and I go over to the goddamn valley to NBC and stand around with these fucking comics and everybody's wackadoo and I'm like I'm just in fucking general irritability yeah and they tell me that you know my five minute audition is now three minutes I'm like are you fucking kidding me all right so I go out there and they're they're doing the auditions on Johnny Carson's old stage which yeah. is behind the Tonight Show yeah, stage yeah. okay which is actually a small stage this is huge yeah so I I get in and it's my turn I go for a walk. I, I walk all the way onto the stage and 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 I'm and I'm mad because they made me walk this whole fucking way too. Okay, yeah. I'm just mad. So my first line goes, "You cocksuckers, give me three minutes. It takes me a minute and a half to get my fat ass up here. Whose bright idea was it to put the fucking stage 150 yards away from the fucking door when you got three minutes? <laughs> All right. And then I just started on, and they go, and at a minute 15, they go, "Stop, Ralph, stop." And I'm like, "You fucking assholes! I just flew from Hawaii. No, 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 Ralph. We want you to come back. Okay, you're moving on." you did you did everything we needed you to do you're terrific okay i'm like are you serious yeah i got something yeah i mean because i mean i just come off the hills of, it was just how of, many people were in the room five Ugh. and i had all five people dying okay bob ross and a camera guy yeah. and and a, a, a ad and uh and jay no jay wasn't even in there huh. and um jay was sleeping in yeah. They were sleeping in. Motherfucker, I was up early. All right. And uh, I filled out all this paperwork, and I saw so many comics that had passed and were got like, like that fan never would have done that if Ken Jung had gotten advice from Levity to do the show. He saw all the paperwork, and as a doctor, he wasn't prepared to give up his doctor gig. Okay. And he, he could have made it even sooner. Than, than when he has made it. Isn't it wonderful though? Yeah. He's made it. I love that. Well, so, he did it a different way. It's probably he did better it a different off. Way. It's better in the long run than his way. So I that think. was the year. So you got on last comic saying first season. Yeah, I got on. And, and, and that audition was on Saturday. Tuesday, I was back from Hawaii at the Laugh Factory. 
uh, did that place, got a standing ovation, and went to Las Vegas the next morning. And then we shot in Vegas two days, and then by Friday I was living in the house and hadn't been home. And, and uh, uh, Jay pulled me to the side after Vegas, and he goes, you know, NBC's here, right? And I go, yeah. He goes, you need to know something. We had a meeting yesterday in Los Angeles, and they are very nervous how good you're doing. Um, they've never had anyone your size on uh, primetime television before, and they're very nervous that you will do well in this and last longer, and they think that this is going to bring down the show. He goes, you have to give them a standing ovation every time. The audience has to speak that they can't get you off. If it's close at all, you're gone. So because you're a fat guy again, yeah, they want to push you out yeah. because they think you're unappealing. Yeah, yeah. And and I knew it was true because I just, um, uh, in January, that was in Jan February was when the last comic happened. In January, I had auditioned at the Laugh Factory with 20 comedians and followed Pablo Francisco, and um, uh, who was a beast at the time, and uh, Dane Cook, who hadn't hit what he's doing now, but, I mean, was was just fucking amazing. And we were showcasing for Conan O'Brien. And I, um, I did, uh, I went up 16th and got the only standing O in five minutes. And so we're all in the lobby and a bunch of comics are hanging out and talking to the booker and, and Dane Cook, to his credit, goes, um, so when are you going to put Ralphie on? Ralphie's, Ralphie should be the first one, but after him, you know, when can the rest of us get on? And the guy goes, actually, I, I can't put Ralphie on. And and Dane was like, what? Why? And Dane started pressing the point. What do you mean? Why not? He just fucked this place up. Got a standing ovation. And, uh, and he goes, he's just not the right size. Really? Yeah. Yeah. And um isn't that lawsuit shit? It should be, but it's not. <laughs> you know, they they have their choice to discriminate against whoever they want to put on their network, you know? And uh, and that's that was a hard lesson to learn, man. You know that that so now you know, you in go, a game that you think is equal, you know that all that matters is what the crowd never the thought crowd it was is. equal. Well, but I know yeah, what you mean. Yeah, yeah, but you know, there's a certain you know you you make your own. But picture. this isn't this isn't stand up. This is television. Yeah. So now you got this fire in your fucking brain. Right, right. And I've got this defeatist attitude that I'm fucking done, and and then. But you had to it. kill. I had to kill. <laughs> and that's why I did different jokes every time, and I got a standing ovation every every time I performed on that whole show, and I still came in second. But it was that was politics? I probably yeah. I mean, you, it was, the not, show was recut. There was yeah, but you're recut. not. Are you bitter about that? Good to God, no, man. If this is if this is getting robbed, it's like my fans. I mean, once or twice a day, I'll get people still tell me you got fucked on last comic standing. But what happened was, the only thing I can liken it to is um, 1988 when the first heavy medical, um, um, uh, heavy metal um, Grammy Award was given instead to Metallica, who was transforming heavy metal, yeah. uh, was given to Jethro Tull, a band with a fucking flute. And then after that, their, their sales went through the roof. Because after I last on the last comic standing, I came in second, my album, uh, the pre-sale was like 500,000 units. DVDs and CDs total, okay. Jesus and, Christ! And, and that was the pre-sale, and then with it went platinum within. It was released in November, by mid December it was already over a million units sold. 
Target picked it up, Walmart picked it up, um, uh, the, all these big box stores, Best Buy picked it up, and, and so I moved that many units off of being, and then I went from, you know, making you know eight hundred dollars a week or twelve hundred dollars a week headliner, to pulling down ten, fifteen thousand, and then up from there, you know. And, and that then, was right after last comic. Right after last comic. Well, shit. So you've had a good run, and you're still having it. Yeah, I, I just keep on putting out albums, Mark. You How know, many I'm you a, got out? Four now, and um, I'm taping October 1st another Comedy Central album. I've got uh, uh, this one's going to be really good, man. This one's going to be it's transcending stand up. It's more social. It's talking examples about like the, the Arizona law against Mexicans and, uh-huh. and how it's just race based. And yeah. and um, talking about that, I'm talking about gays in the military. I'm talking about how our government uses racism as a hologram to keep us looking at each other instead of looking at them, seeing what they're doing. You know, Gulf of Tonkin is and it didn't happen. It was white versus black. And, and I, I get blame where it is, you know, but I also share in that story about meeting a Mexican kid in 1984, a Mexican guy who uh, came to our town, first Mexican I ever met, uh, May 17th, 1986. And he, uh, knocked on our door and said for $10 he'd mow the yard. And I said, well, how about for 12 you edge the driveway too my mom gave me $20 to do it so fuck it I just made $8 and didn't have to do it you know it's terrific you know I welcome to America that's capitalism I'm a supervisor now right so afterwards we get done I take him out a big old glass of water and and um uh he in broken English, you know. I asked him, "How'd you get here?" Because that was the first Mexican I ever met, and he explained that um, it, it was hard. But it was like his two-year-old daughter uh, had died from drinking bad water, and then the day after the funeral, he and his family packed up everything they had and walked to America, five days to the desert, and that was like a month ago. And here he was in my little town pushing a lawnmower, and I just thought that was the most incredible story I'd ever heard, and. I went around with him around the neighborhood and, and shared that. But I talk about that and how, you know, there's... We, Did you give him the other $8? Fuck no, fuck no, fuck no. <laughs> but hey, that was a deal. That was made. Okay, that money was spent. But I did walk with him and get him more business. All right. And he would mow my yard for free. So ultimately, it was it all worked out great. You know, mm-hmm. I made more money after that. But, um, you know, it was it's something that, you know, you need to transcend these stories. You need to personalize it and make it, you know, make it something better. But I'm also taking on the word nigger. You know, after 40-something years of equal rights in this country, uh, presumed equal rights, we still leave a loaded gun out there for our children and i'm trying to remove the gun and um it's it's a big undertaking and it's 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 a battle it's self-righteous you know and and this in this next album i'm i'm starting trying to start my own religion an updated christianity that doesn't require the you know hypocrisy of a church and i got a gospel choir and it's going to be a fucking big big undertaking the gospel of ralphie may uh, coming soon. <laughs> Comedy Central probably in February is what they're telling me. And this one, this one might end up being two hours instead of just another hour special for Comedy Central. That's fucking awesome. Well, thanks for talking, Ralphie. Thank you, man. I appreciate it, Mr. Mayor. Good to see you. That's it, folks. Hopefully I'll see you in Boston at the Magnus Comedy Fest at the Wilbur Theater, either for my live stand-up show or the live WTF. That's this Friday, 7 and 10 p.m. I believe. Other than that, go to WTFPod.com, get some just coffee, do yourself a favor, lay off the, uh, if you can if you can help yourself, maybe you don't need to, to drink any Luwak shit coffee, 
though I appreciate it. I'm still drinking it. It's not getting any better. I really wanted it to be good. Do whatever else you need to do there. Get on the mailing list. I'm pretty. I'm very diligent about emailing everybody. And uh, oh, I don't feel good. Damn it. All right. <laughs> 